Ag State of Mind, episode 91. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. to the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows. Today, we welcome Andrea Paquette to the show. Andrea is the founder of Stigma Free Society, a Canadian charity based out of Vancouver. We chat about Andrea's history and how her own journey with mental health led her to found Stigma Free Society. Uh, We also chat about Stigma Free Society and Andrea's newest project, the Rural Mental Wellness Toolkit which is something that I have been very fortunate to be a part of, help them with some interviews, and they've been very gracious to link my podcast in that toolkit. Very, very grateful for them. Uh, We chat about the needs of the rural and ag ag communities across North America and how they need, we need better mental health resources. Um, That's the reason that the Rural Mental Wellness Toolkit was born. I had an incredible time chatting with Andrea, and I just found that she uh, is just a great asset to the mental health and also to the rural community. Just so thankful for her. Um, Before we get started, I want to invite anyone who is interested to join us on Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a the probably the newest form of social media where you can actually hear one another's voices and have real conversations with people in rooms. Um, we do some really fun stuff. It's actually, I'm actually a part of the, as hilarious as this sounds, part of the Farm Wife Club on Clubhouse where we get in there and we talk about all these things. Um, there's just some really great gal, gals and there's a few guys in there, um, which makes it really a vibrant and diverse conversation. So if you want a invite to Clubhouse, please send me a DM all across social media. We will get you that invite. So, all right, uh, here is my episode with Andrea Paquette of Stigma Free Society. All right, Andrea Paquette, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. Thank you so much. I am very excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, you and I have, you know, we've exchanged emails, we've connected over social media, but it's always cool to have a real life, even if we aren't sitting in the same room, in-person conversation. I mean, this is unfortunately as close to we get to in person these days anyway. Yeah, I think making the connection is the important thing, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. So tell us a little bit about your story about what all you've got going on. I mean, you guys are doing you're doing some incredible work up up north of the 49. And I'm I'm very, very inspired by what all you guys are doing. Well, thank you so much. We're really impressed to have your personal story to our new website. I am president and co-founder of the Stigma Free Society, which is a beautiful, impacting charity about mental health. Uh, Our three goals for the Stigma Free Society, first and foremost, is creating awareness around stigma and mental health. Also cultivating that understanding of each other and the acceptance of ourselves and other people. 
So all of our programming, whether it's our education and communities virtual now, right. as well in schools is a big focus, but we just launched our new role mental wellness toolkit, which is why I'm talking to you today. Yeah. And it's a, just a, a beautiful, a beautiful website. Like, I mean, I opened it up and I was just in awe because it is so cool. And, you know, and I, my buddy and I, Nathan Brown, who's on the website too, him and I are really close friends. And if you can make both of us look that good on that website, I mean, you're doing something. That's hilarious. Well, that's... <laughs> So rulementalwellness.com is the website if anyone would like to check it out. Jason's story is on there along with other people who are farmers, people living in agricultural communities or rural communities as well. And it was nice to see a lot of men step up for this initiative with these inspiring stories because I feel there is so much stigma around mental health when it comes to men. And we also created a feature in our mental health matters section, trying to communicate that no matter who we are, it's important that we take care of our mental health. And that's your main message, Jason. And we just really can identify with that. There's no, like, and I, I think, and I say this a lot on the podcast and I, the people I talk to, what I learned really early on is I thought I was going to be talking about mental illness in agriculture anxiety, depression, but mental health is such a much bigger thing than that because it's something that every single one of us has. I mean, it's something that exists on a spectrum and we are all, every single one of us are on that spectrum somewhere. That's that's probably been the most enlightening thing for me. And really it brought me joy to realize that because it made me understand that my message knows no boundaries. And I feel like that's probably how you feel as well. I definitely feel that way. And when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder back in 2005, I was around 25 years old. I honestly thought my life was over. Mm. Mm -hmm. I felt that it was the biggest curse that could have happened to me because I saw waves of psychosis. I was hospitalized twice. Uh, I couldn't at times even know where I was seeing things that weren't there. That can happen with bipolar disorder. It's more... Uh, for people with schizophrenia psychosis, but it also does come with bipolar disorder at times. And I was very lucky that I, I don't know, I just found really good people around me, but it wasn't until my attempt to take my life. And then I ended up in a psychiatric ward and that's where I met my psychiatrist for the first time who has been with me on this journey for 17 years. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Tell me about that if you're comfortable talking about it. Of course, I, I am. I've been talking exactly. About this for yeah, years. you know, I want to be respectful to you, obviously. And of course. Um, but tell me about that. Tell me about that experience because you know, I and I've been very candid with my own experience with 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 my mental health, but it's it was never to that point. Thankfully, I'm gosh, I think every day yeah. for that. So I, I, I am very interested in to see, and I think it's important for people to know who someone like yourself, who's obviously very high functioning now, mm -hmm. that wasn't always that way. No, it definitely wasn't. I was so downtrodden. I could barely at times cook a meal for myself. It was that bad. 
uh, with a mix eventually of support therapy, medication. Uh -huh. I've been taking medications now for over that 17 years. Uh, I also used to have a lot of stigma around the fact that I needed medications. It was this whole thing that I was weak. Mm -hmm. And I learned very uh, soon, actually, that that wasn't the case. And it was just like something I needed to do if I was to take care of my physical health, right? So if we, there's that old saying, if we break a bone, we go to the doctor. But broken minds and broken bones are treated very differently in society. And it became my mission in 2009 to share my story. And I was ready. And when I ventured out very bravely in 2009, a lot of people were not talking about mental health. I live in Canada. I don't know. Perhaps it's the same in the States. You guys are, just to break in, I feel like you guys are ahead of us on this, actually. Yeah. We're so, but anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> so with our programs, we really want to reach that North American, uh, you know, reach for sure. But as I look back at that time, I did this seminar, actually, it was called the Landmark Forum, and it was this amazing uh, weekend seminar. And at the end of it, they invite all these people, all family and friends to learn about the program. And, and they asked, does anybody want to come up and share what they've learned out of this seminar? And I put my hand up. Whoa. And I went up to the front, never having spoken in front of anyone before. And there was 500 people there. And I grabbed that microphone very courageously. And I recall saying just this. I said, hi, everybody. My name is Andrea. And I have bipolar disorder. But I've learned in the seminar that I'm not bipolar disorder. I've learned that I have a mental illness, but I'm not my mental mm -hmm. illness. I was telling myself the whole time that I couldn't be happy and have a good life. But you know what? I decided in that moment I was going to have an extraordinary life. And holy crow, I really do. And I have for a very long time. That's incredible. And so what do you think pushed you to raise your hand? Like, what do you think it was? Like, I mean, maybe it was just something just pushing you and something down the line knowing like what this was going to lead to. But I mean, what do you think it was? I had no idea what this was going to lead to, especially in that moment. All I knew was that I wanted to heal. I admit it to myself and be comfortable with who I was. Bipolar isn't who I am per se, but it definitely is a part of me. So why would I want to be ashamed about being who I am as a whole? And as time unfolded, and I went into my first classroom, spoke to 15 students, did a PowerPoint, shared about my experience in length. And when I walked out of that classroom, I knew this is what I want to do with my life. I want to share my story, make an impact. And the whole point, I didn't want people to suffer in silence like I did. I didn't reach out for help. That was why I had an attempt on my life because I didn't think there was any help, but there is. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I think that's the biggest piece is a lot of times we feel alone and we're not alone. And I felt that way. But now I realize there's a community, there are psychiatrists, there's medical professionals, there's family, friends, peer support. Farmers in Missouri. And yes, 
Like, I mean, you and I are talking. Like, it's you, it, you don't even realize how many people uh, this this you can speak to and reach and connect with just by still telling your story. And it's amazing that when that happens. Thank you very much. I just knew in my heart that I wanted to march forward and create a charity someday. It was a dream before, well, right after my second hospitalization, before I created the charity, there was a mm -hmm. few years there in between. I went to South Korea and became an English teacher and a professor. <laughs> wow. And it was part of my healing to get out of Canada to get out of where I was and just do something different and take time to heal. I'm writing a memoir. It's it's written. It just needs to be edited. I started that there. Writing's very healing for me. I also blog mm -hmm. for Bipolar Magazine. Uh, I do that bi-weekly. I, I love just writing and sharing. And I remember sitting in my very hot apartment one evening and I had a sketch pad and I was writing out, manifesting what I wanted to do with my life and, and what would be the name of my charity. And I started writing down the values and the mission. I had never created an organization or anything like this in my entire life. But when I got back to Canada, I, like I said, started sharing my story and I thought, okay, I'm gonna get the papers together, create the charity. I had no team. I had no board of directors just yet. It got so overwhelming. I just had to throw the papers away and focus on the passion. Speaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do you know, the more I spoke, the more networking I did. And I did an event with a friend, a hair show of all things. <laughs> and Bipolar Babe actually became my name and my brand. At that seminar, I mentioned this wonderful lady, Julia. She was creating funny t-shirts around mental health. And she was naming all these funny slogans. And the problem with being by is that else isn't. And just cute little sayings. I'm like, oh my God, I my t-shirt. And she's like, what is it? I said, it's going to say bipolar babe. And that's my t-shirt. She laughed and she said, so you're going to wear that t-shirt out into the community and at the grocery store, for instance. And I said, you know what, I'm going to create this brand this, and I have a logo in my mind. I'm going to create that t-shirt. And that was when it really started, this whole idea of the charity. Eventually, I networked more through a friend who was introducing me to other nonprofits uh, who were doing not the same thing that I wanted to do, spread awareness about mental health, because again, it was very limited at that time. And I met a charity specialist named Robin. He was 65. And he's a charity specialist. He helps people build charities. So he believed in me after we spoke very briefly and not very much, but he said, I believe in you, kid. And what do you know, together, we built the first Bipolar Disorder Society of British Columbia in 2010. That's incredible. Like, and I'm always, I'm just in awe of how, you know, of just not, I mean, the work is great. I mean, obviously, but like how long ago you did it. Uh, to me, 2010 seems, and when you're talking about speaking openly about mental health, that was like decades ago, you know, centuries ago, if you, I mean, if you really think about it, like, I mean, it's where we are. Over a decade and a, and a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, 
I mean, we're talking, more people obviously are talking about it more and more, but. Yeah, it was way more taboo, Jason. Yeah, nobody talked about it back then. And, you know, I'm trying to think about where I was in my life at that point. And, you know, being, and that's, you know, I was still struggling mightily with mine at that point. And if something would have been there in my part of the country, that, that probably, not probably, it definitely would have made things much easier on me. And I think that's, I think that's really important. What we really important is you saw a need because it affected you and you knew. And my mom. And you're, so people, not just you, but people you love, yeah, people, people around, love. around you and mm-hmm. what other, why, I mean, what better kind of why would you have than that? Yeah. My mom has schizoaffective disorder. She Uh, got diagnosed uh, right after I was born. So she was around 23 years old. And with that illness, it was very severe for her. She has a very severe case. There's been times where my mom was like catatonic for a full year, non-responsive. She also had to get electroconvulsive therapy because she wasn't responsive. It was the only thing that brought her back. A lot of of stigma around that treatment as well. They used to call it shock therapy. Right. Uh, but it actually helped my mom and it's amazing now to see her flourish and live a really great life. And she didn't accept medications at all for 30 years Mm -hmm. and for the last 10 or so she has. And she told me that she did it because of me, because with my advocacy and because I take my medications and she also reaches out for help now, which was so hard for her. So think about all the people that you've talked to, touched, networked with. I mean, that has to make every single thing you've done worth it to have. Oh, it definitely does. Have that Jason. effect. And I, yeah. And I used to think it was such a curse, as I mentioned, but it's a gift as well. It is. I mean, it is. Absolutely it is because you can empathize with people. Empathy is so strong for building relationships. And I'm speaking off the cuff here. I don't have any kind of data to back that up, although I'm sure there is uh, data for that. But um, I mean, for me, when somebody can, and I'm just personal experience, when somebody can look at you and say, yeah, I get it. I know what that's like. There's no stronger emotion that I can think of as to far as building a relationship. And, you know, that's, that's proof of it right there. And that really brings us back to the toolkit. And one of the components that I really think you would appreciate and a lot of people would appreciate is through the rural mental wellness toolkit, uh, we're going to be offering a North American wide peer support facilitator training program. And people could just sign up by donation. If they don't have any money, we will train them anyway. And what this program will do, we've partnered with Robin Priest, Live Your Truth out of Manitoba. Robin actually had lived in Texas before, New Zealand, and now lives here in Canada. And we really know that a lot of talk around mental health uh, issues, concerns, as we've been talking to people in rural communities happens around like coffee tables and it happens in cafes and it's like peer support is just about people who have experience of mental health challenges for instance and then they can create these groups of other people who are facing challenges 
So the one facilitator can then ignite these peer support groups in their community. So that's the real takeaway from this toolkit. It's great for resources, information, activities, all these things, stories, but this piece I feel is really unique and special. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's an incredible, that's an incredible thing to have in the toolkit just together, like just to have something that, that brings all of those resources under an umbrella, under something together, man, that's so, that's so valuable and so needed because right now the, the resources uh, for rural America, rural North America are scattered, I feel like. And bringing it all together in one spot work where it, it's almost like a launch pad, if you will, um, for people yeah. to, to kind of uh, start their journey and, you know, find the place that they need to be. And that's, that's really, people will really find value in that. Oh, thank you. Another thing that we're doing is we are seeking hosts. We potentially have some people lined up, but we're looking for more, uh, whether it's professionals, people with lived experience of mental health, who would be online uh, giving virtual talks. I'll be doing some interviewing with my own show on there. And I really hope that you will come on. <laughs> and, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, we want to have that piece as well. So people can watch things. They could do Q and A's. And I just feel like the more interactivity we have on that toolkit, the better. But also some people want to be more silent and more private. And so it has that piece to it as well. And in creating this, we just launched it two weeks ago. The uh, response has been absolutely amazing, both in Canada and uh, Texas, actually. We have some connections out there. Uh, yeah, it's it's been very overwhelmingly awesome. We rebranded as the Stigma Free Society in 2016, who what we're known as now for our charity. And the reason why that we launched this toolkit is because of my co-founder, Dave Richardson, who's also our board chair. And he grew up on a farm and he mm. always had this wish that he could do something for people in those communities in the agricultural and mm -hmm. the rural communities that mental health, he felt just wasn't talked about. And there's hope, but there isn't the help right now. And yeah. Dave's really passionate and so am I and our team about igniting some hope and letting people know that we need to make this topic aware to the policymakers and government officials to do more. Yeah, absolutely. And it is getting traction. There are people who are really talking about it, but that's why it's important. Like you may not be able to help every single person that you would like to. I mean, obviously you would want to help every person you could. That's not feasible, nor probably you wouldn't be doing yourself any favors by spreading yourself too thin. But what 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 this kind of platform creates is a network, is yeah. an opportunity to get people to branch out and find people, connect other people, and then get even people who you talked about who are suffering in silence and aren't necessarily yet ready to reach out and talk about it but they can still know with them in themselves that everything is going to be and is okay yeah. 
And I think that, you know, and go, going back and relating it to my own story, that's where I've found a lot of value as well in the podcast is that people can sit in and listen to mm-hmm. my podcast in their truck, in their tractor, in their earbuds, wherever it may be, yeah. walking down the street. Nobody has to know. Nobody. I mean, we'd love for everybody to be at the point where you and I are oh, at sharing a story. And that's okay. And they're not. Yeah. And that's so and but that's okay. And yeah. that's why things like you like like what you guys are doing, what we're doing, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to have that. And it's great that we're able to use technology to our advantage for that definitely and i really love that point you make about partnerships and you know knitting together all of the different people and organizations and i love that this toolkit could really be that place that hub where we want to bring in as many people as possible as many organizations as possible just so that we can do this in unison because we're stronger together yeah so i want to i want to go back a bit and okay. this is a little bit back because this is a recurring thing that keeps popping up in my head. And you talked about medications and the stigma around medications as, and I don't want to say I'm embarrassed to say this, but you know, as you know, everybody knows I'm, I'm a pharmacist and I, I, I had that stigma like on the, on the side of it as, and I don't want to say I was judging people, but I didn't understand what the med, like bipolar meds, lithium, mm. uh, and then go into going into antidepressants, uh, SSRIs, all those things. I didn't understand. Like I, I thought they were, I thought they were like a, a crutch. crutch. A lot of yeah, I thought that. they were a crutch. I I thought that yeah. I did, and I was. I am a trained pharmacist. I have <laughs> so my doctor, my my doctor in pharmacy, like, and that's how I felt. And and if I feel like that, how how does everyone else feel about it? You know. So I mean, now thankfully, I mean, I I'll, I'll admit, openly say I take medications for anxiety. I I take a SNRI for for that. Um, I've been able actually to decrease the dose, which I'm thankful for. Mm-hmm. But still, I I take it because there's not. And, and the thing about it is, I talk about that because there's nothing wrong with taking it when you need it. Gosh, no. I mean, no, I mean there's like. Say your cholesterol is above 300. Is anybody going to fault you for taking your, I don't know what the brand names are in Canada, but take, <laughs> taking your Lipitor, Atorvastatin, you know, yeah. is that, is that what yeah. they call it in Canada too? Okay. I, I didn't know if like the, how that cross, if those cross borders or not, but, but anyway, I mean, obviously nobody's going to fault you for that. Mm-hmm. So why would they fault you for taking your Cymbalta or your Lithium or your uh, Abilify, things like that? They're necessary. They're absolutely necessary. And I that's that's another thing. Another, you know, again, we talked about before we started recording how therapeutic this podcast has been for me. And that's just another thing. Another one of those things that I have gained along this way is there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking these medications because they, and not so much that there's nothing wrong with that, they it would be something wrong if you didn't take them. You know what I mean? Like, why would you need them temporarily? And uh-huh. yeah. Yep. And so, you know, I have loved ones who also have depression and anxiety. They take medication for it. Dave Richardson openly speaks. Uh, he's a businessman and he has spoken at 
lunches with executives about the fact that, hey, I have depression, anxiety. And he even says in his story that he at one time stigmatized himself so badly that he just denied it. But then he realized he's just a better person when he's on medication and he feels more at ease, more productive and happier. And it's not a crutch. Really what it is is maybe it's just something in our brain that's missing and a medication kind of creates that link that we need. Right. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's, it is, it's like, if you think about it as an engine, um, there's a part of that engine, no matter how small that part may seem. Well, I'll just take, for instance, I, I'm, before we started here, I was working on a piece of equipment and the the fuel system's not working. And the little thing, there's a fuel filter. I mean, nobody can see this but me and you, but it's a little bitty on a, it's on a side-by-side. And it's, it's a little bitty thing, but that side-by-side will not run without that little bit of uh, that little bitty fuel filter. And I mean, so no matter how you can't see the brain, you can't, or you can't see the brain, the the neurochemicals in the brain, but they are, they are absolutely necessary to our, um, to our functioning. And when you don't have the right amount of that, uh, you just don't, you don't run, you don't function the way you should. And one interesting thing, it took 11 years for me to find the therapeutic correct cocktail dose of four different meds uh, to feel truly for the last eight, nine years or so, however long it's been, it took a long time. And Mm -hmm. people often try medication and they say, this isn't working and they'll kind of just throw it away. But I tried for 11 years and there was times, it was a roller coaster. But eventually, you know, I found my footing and without my medications, I know I wouldn't be able to function. I I need them so I don't go into psychosis. I need them so I can sometimes, you know, get out of bed with Mm -hmm. with bipolar. It's that hypomania, the mania, the highs, elevations of the mood. It's also the lows that are so bad. Like I told you, there were times where I couldn't cook a, a meal for myself. So beautifully, like uh, a cocktail, like I always call it like my medication orchestra, <laughs> all the little pieces coming <laughs> all together, working together. Uh-huh. you know, and then I'm able to be balanced. And yes, there's still hard days, but they're very sure. few, like very few and far between now. Yeah. And that's yeah, a it, lot to do with medication. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a huge part of people's journey and it's a necessary you know, you talk about toolkit with what you're doing, you know, it's a necessary part of, of your toolkit. And one of, it can be one of the biggest and one of the most necessary. Definitely. And I think as well, yourself being a man and talking about medication and the benefits as well as Dave and other men that I know, I really think that's so valuable because yeah. I don't know what you think, but perhaps maybe men are more resistant to taking medication as a population as a whole when we look at the stats oh. who knows no i don't but think it i know it I, I absolutely know it's true yeah. i see it in every single day that i work i mean every single day i absolutely women are much more 
open. Open, and they're much more, uh, what's the word? Good grief. I'm a pharmacist. I can't think of the word. Adherent. <laughs> adherent. Their adherence is so much better to medication than, than a man is. And I don't know why necessarily that is, other than the, you know, the invincibility thing in thinking that if you have to take something, you are broken. And and that whole suck it up thing, right? Like, I've got to suck it up. I just got to get through this. Like, yeah, kind of yeah. And I mean, and there's a place for that. I, yeah. I don't Obviously, but it doesn't. And there, but there, there, there's a tipping point. There's a point where you've got to know yourself and you've got to be self-aware, becoming very self-aware and understanding your own uh, maybe limitations and knowing that those limitations are okay and there's things to help you along that path. Definitely. And it is okay. And I think that's the strongest message right there is that when we need help, whatever, whatever way that works for that person. And it's really important that we don't judge each other for the way that we decide to take care of ourselves. Sometimes people on a journey uh, may take longer to find their way. It took me quite a long time. But eventually sure. I made it through and I always have hope for people. I get a lot of emails and a lot of people asking me, my son is severely sick. He has bipolar disorder. He refuses to take his medications. I don't understand. He's doing this, this, this. What do I do? What do I do? And it's all, it's a crisis a lot of the times. And one thing I've learned is quite often you, you can do so much for someone you care about but they have to truly at some point be willing to hear you and to be willing to want to get help themselves. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I always think of, did you ever see the movie? And this is a silly, silly movie to, to even reference, but did you ever see the movie Bruce Almighty? No. With Jim Carrey. With Jim. What's it called? Okay. Bruce Almighty. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Bruce Almighty with Jim. Sometimes the Canadian... Missouri accent may not cross when you're hearing me. <laughs> no, it's a good accent. No, it's great. Yeah, I'm the one with the but, accent, all right? Well, I think we both have a little bit of one. Dep depending on where you live, that's exactly. who has the accent, right? <laughs> but what what they, you know, he he said, you know, he comes and he uh, he is he, he takes on the role of God and how he is trying to force his girlfriend to forgive and love him no matter what and nobody can do that as much as you as much as you do all the things as much as you put all the things in motion that need to be put the decision has to be made by the person by that person by the individual yeah. and there's only so much one person can do some pe people have to take responsibility yeah, for themselves definitely and even if that person is not ready to make the firm decision that I want help, but sometimes it's just a listening and just being open and to hear. And one of the most beautiful things that's so simple that I always tell people is we always want to solve people's problems, especially for those that we love and care about. When really sometimes we just need someone to sit with us and listen, whether it's to cry, hold their hand and just listen. Yeah. Yeah. And again, me as a guy hearing that, that's really valuable too, because I naturally 
want to fix things. I just, I think that's who I am. And I know a lot of, not just, not just men, but women too, who they want to fix things, but sometimes people don't want things fixed or not necessarily in the moment they do. They just want to, again, it goes back to the word empathy. They want somebody to empathize, to see how, where they're coming from, just to listen, just someone to just talk to and, and, and share and get these burdens off of their chest. And you know, sharing the story for people is sometimes as, as therapeutic is actually the help that comes after that. I mean, just that is so lightening true. that load. Yeah. I mean, absolutely it is. And it's just to be, be, but to understand that, to know that don't, people don't necessarily always want things fixed right then, even though they need fixed, they don't necessarily want it done right exactly. then and, and, and moving from there. Um, it's a, Again, it's a. Big I think it's part building trust as well. That's what people really yeah. need. I know that's what I really needed when I uh, wasn't well. These are very private problems, especially for a lot of people. People more than likely in the beginning don't want to talk about this stuff. But the more trust that you can build with somebody, the more likely they are to open up. And then let's talk about trust just for a minute. Trust is something that. I don't think people understand that trust and patience go hand in hand. I heard this, my, one of my favorite podcasts, it, it was, it's called the Strong Men, Strong Marriages podcast, and it's with Mike Frazier, and he's a licensed psychiatrist, and uh, he talks about, he talked about that yesterday on the podcast, where uh, we want to we build trust, but what we don't understand about trust is it takes time. It's not something that somebody just has, boom, like that. Uh, it's something that has to be, a relationship has to be cultivated and and nourished, and it takes time. Yeah, but and... people see that differently too, Jason, because a lot of the times for myself, I think maybe, I don't know if I'm a little naive or just a little too trusting, but I generally trust people unless they give me a reason not to. Mm, okay. So that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's easier with friends, family, people who love and care. Uh, but yeah, my husband has told me you're just way too trusting too fast. <laughs> I, I am too. And I think some people would see that as a negative thing, but I understand that it's, it's a good thing too, because when you trust, when you have that, you get to it's a lot easier for you to do the things that you and I do, right? It's a lot easier to share our share our stories for than it would be for someone who is way more private. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, no, you're right. It goes both yeah. ways. And this this really reminds me of my psychiatrist. And in the beginning, when I first met him in the psych hospital in 2005, I didn't know him at all, and I initially mm -hmm. was like you know, how can I open up to this person that I don't even know? But I very quickly liked him because of the way he treated me. And I recall having my hands, you know, my, my face in my hands and my face down and I felt like a drowned rat. It was just very difficult. And he came up to me, put his hand on my shoulder and I looked up and he said, are you all right? I'm Dr. Song. And it was like, the way he talked to me as mm. well was like, he respected me. It wasn't this top 
down talk eventually as we started uh, conversing with each other and very quickly within a week I realized I had to make that decision to trust and also he is a medical expert is his doctorate in psychiatry and I don't and so <laughs> it it was like I'm the patient right now and you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna listen to this guy because the go. last psychiatrist yeah. I didn't and look where it landed me and Dr. Song said to me he said uh, you got to go on medications again because the first round I went off and it just didn't like I told you the stigmatizing piece and I said I don't really want to go on medications and he was like well is what you're doing right now working for you yeah <laughs> it's humbling yeah that was like the most rhetorical question in my life and I was just like okay and that was the point he's the doctor I'm the patient and as the years have passed it's not so much like that doctor patient. Sure, that still exists, of course, but we're in a partnership with my mental health now. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, it's like I actually know my medications so well, what each of them does. I research, I know, I talk to him. I'll be like, I really think that my Lamictal needs to be bumped up 50 milligrams because I'm feeling more depressed in the last three weeks. And I have that kind of knowledge, and he actually really listens to me. And if he feels that, you know what? And he, he knows I know myself best. Mm. And it's a great doctor-patient relationship. I barely ever have to see him. Uh, but I know that if I do, he's there. That's great. That's great. So I want to, and I, I am so thankful for the relationship that you and I have cultivated and been able to speak here um, so freely tonight. It, it, this has been, uh, and I say this a lot lately, but I, I truly mean it. This has been one of the easier conversations for me to have because of your willingness to be so open. And I, I appreciate that. That is, that is amazing. I feel the same way. I really have enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you. Uh, it's really refreshing when we can just talk about who we are and be encouraging to other people that it's okay. And truly this toolkit, I really want people to check it out. Uh, Ruralmentalwellness.com and share your story with us. We have two to three minute videos. Jason, you did one. And we just want to get the voices out there. We want more partnerships. We want people to know there is hope and we're here to bring help as much as we can in partnership with people like you and as many organizations and people as possible. Well, very good. Well, I will link all that, all your information in the show notes so people have no trouble finding you. And I, I am thankful for the network that, that, that is building around um, not just rural mental health. That's always my focus, but around mental health in general. And I, I'm so thankful for the relationships that are starting. And um, I look forward to even more working with you coming, coming. And who knows, maybe one of these days when this world gets back to normal, you and I uh, will meet up in, in not on a Zoom call in real life. Yeah, you definitely got to check out British Columbia West Coast. The West is the best. That's what I hear. Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> what I hear. I, I've, I've heard lots of people say those things. So uh, that yeah, definitely my, and my, my wife loves to travel. Um, that's our, that's like one of our deals together is to travel and, you know, the 
Canada, Western Canada is on my list because. Oh, excellent. I know my husband and I, our whole world is around traveling. He's from the UK. We met in Singapore. Oh, wow. (laughs) We've been to Spain together. And then now that the skies have closed quite a bit, it's, it's been very disappointing, but I have faith that one day uh, we'll be able to, to live that lifestyle again. Cause that's a big part of my happiness is travel. Us too. Us too. Us too. We, uh, and like just seeing places and, and, and also taking our kids to like to see the places too. And it is, it's a big, you know, we have a set of core values as a couple and that's, like one of the main ones is is traveling and that was not me for a long time and that was something that Carrie brought to our relationship and man I'm thankful for it because it's made it's made me whole and uh I I love it and I I love to share that and hear that other people share that passion for it that I do yeah definitely and on a closing note we're talking about our partners and I just have to say how important it is that in our marriages and relationships that we support each other yes because that has been my you know my husband my strongest pillar Mm -hmm. and when i fall there is someone there if you don't have a marriage or a partner just ensure that you got somebody who's someone yep absolutely form a support around you yep Yep, absolutely. Well, cool. This was fun. This is not going to be the last time you and I chat. I look forward to it down the road. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.